Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Plus, check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. Hey there, it's the Nerdist Podcast. You're listening to it. It's me, Chris Hardwick. I'm talking in a higher register than normal. Uh, just to clear up a few facts, you can find us Nerdist on Instagram, Nerdist on Facebook, Nerdist on Twitter, Nerdist.com, the Nerdist podcast, which you already know because it's talking at you right now through me, of course. I'm channeling it. And it wants me to tell you that it loves you very much. Hey, blog people, this episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the super, super, super easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. Hey, you want to start blogging about uh, that you dress up your pets in chef gear and make it look like they're cooking meals? You could then start that Chef Pets website you've been wanting to for so long. Now there's literally no reason to wait. In addition to being easy to use, Squarespace is now offering free domain registration to all annual plan customers. It's completely integrated with the sign-up process. Also, they've reduced their prices. They're now offering plans as low as $8 a month. It doesn't matter what your skill level is. You can be a beginner. You can be an expert at CSS. It doesn't matter. They'll cover you either way. There are hundreds of design templates to choose from. You can customize any of the designs to fit your needs. You can get it for iPhone, iPad, Android apps. You can update your blog on the go. Uh, why wait right now? As a Nerdist listener, you can sign up for a free account. There's no credit card needed. You try it out. You start building your website. And then if you decide to purchase, use the offer code NERDIST5. NERDIST and the number 5. You will get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. That's squarespace.com. Use the offer code NERDIST5. And now this episode. This was a tremendous honor. I don't know if you are aware of this from listening to previous Nerdist podcasts, but Joan and I were huge fans of Lost and also Benjamin Linus. And he is on this episode. It's Michael Emerson. Uh, We're also fans of awesome acting. So it doesn't matter what you watch him in. You can't take your eyes off the guy. He's riveting. Uh, His new show is Person of Interest. The season finale is Thursday, May 17th at 9, 8 central on CBS. The plot of the show is super cool. And co-stars Jim Caviezel. So if you haven't watched it yet, or you have, and you're like, but I still need more Michael Emerson, then this is the podcast for you. I mean, besides getting some great background on uh, a lot of the projects that Michael's worked on, uh, especially Lost, um, 
it was like part of this podcast was like a masterclass in acting. He is damn smart. So I'm going to shut my dumb mouth now so you can hear all of that. The Nerdist Podcast number 207 with Michael Emerson. Now entering Nerdist.com. <laughs> you sound good, Michael Emerson. Okay. I can totally hear you. Good. Can you hear you? Let me be heard. Ye shall be heard. Let me hear myself. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. I just started recording. How about that? Oh, good. Isn't Glad to I, be here. Yeah, it, it's, it's seamless. Yeah, a lot of fanfare in the beginning. It would have been more okay. seamless if I hadn't said, so we've just started recording. Yeah, it's true. You could have just rolled into it. That kind of made Catch it worse. Catch off guard. Yeah, a little bit. That gotcha podcasting that we're so famous for. <laughs> the, the gorilla style, getting Michael Emerson to reveal things. Let the festive preliminary banter just bleed right over <laughs> into the paid portion of the program. Yeah. Pop those peas, Michael. <laughs> we are no. I didn't. It didn't sound. It sounded all right. It sounded all right. Uh, it is wonderful to have you on this podcast. Nice to be here. We are huge fans of yours. Oh. So it's so if we slobber on you a little bit, it's okay. it's, it's coming from a good place. <laughs> uh, the point is, you're not allowed to leave now, and okay. this is your home. Nice. So we have a cot in the corner for you. It's very nice. Yes. No, man, uh, that, that cot's mine. It's my <laughs> shut, cot. Shut up, man. Let's let him have the fucking cot. No, man, my back hurts a lot. All right. I like a home where every passing pedestrian can look in on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a social experiment, really. I didn't know Emerson did radio. <laughs> he doesn't. He's there. He's kidnapped. They've all holding him prisoner. Uh, Emerson in the mornings. <laughs> Have you ever thought about doing? Did you ever do radio? Have you ever thought about doing radio? No, no. I bet, but I bet it's fun. I, I like the idea of not being seen. Yeah, I, I like the idea of it being an oral. AU. Yeah, oral yeah. experience. Yeah, as of in the ear. Did you? Have you ever done voiceover work? Yes. It's fun, right? Well, it, it is, but I tell you, it's hard to get. I, I audition for voiceover work constantly. What do you mean you're auditioning for voiceover? You should be offered roles, Michael Emerson. No, no, nothing like that. That's in someone else's life. Mm. <laughs> That's a different career. I'm going to talk to the president of voiceover because I feel like there is a grave injustice. That they should just be giving you. You, you have an Emmy. I, th- I think it's character resonation. I, I think people listen and they think, oh, I, I like his voice, but it makes me think of sinister characters or it makes me feel like there's a secret agenda or he's hiding something from me so i I say to carrie my wife i say what exactly would i be the right voice for and what did she say home security (laughs) undertakers mace you know i i don't know what it is you know what exactly would would i be the voice of the assistant to the evil scientist. <laughs> I like I like the idea. Okay, so home security made me think you could be the voice of a sentient house. Kind of like Knight Rider, but a house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When someone comes home and you greet them. Like if the poltergeist house could talk. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, I, I'm home now. Yeah. You're home, Jim. Dinner will be ready in 30 minutes. Thank you, house. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like the house is going to poison you with this dinner, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's it. The slightly malevolent undertone. Yeah, that- yeah. Okay, here we go, guys. Here's, here's our hit new series. 
Michael Emmerhouse. <laughs> Michael Emerson is a sentient house who at every turn tries to kill you, but you don't you're so charmed by him that you don't ever think to move. You're just Yeah. It's sort of like a Cato relationship. Yeah. Oh, the oven's on again. Time time to make something in the blender, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> but first, a few drinks. <laughs> I hate blender drinks. You know that. Oh, Michael Emmerhouse. Um, by the way, your wife is wonderful on True Blood. Like, Thanks. wonderful. She's funny, isn't she? Hilarious. And yet, and yet Gerline can turn on a dime and make you weep. <laughs> yes. So... Yes, I was very, I was very interested in the evil baby storyline from uh, from last right. season. Demon baby, yeah, really good. It's. Uh, do you like uh, you? You must. It. it I, I've dated people in the business before, uh, or been with people in the business before a long term relationship. It's good because they understand that the work that we do is weird. Yes. Whereas people outside the industry don't. But at the same time, I always felt like, but we also have the same weaknesses too. Yeah. There's some of that, I suppose. I, you know, conventional wisdom is don't marry another actor. But who are you going to marry? Who are you going to meet and fall in love with? Who are you going to get a talent crush on? I mean, how? Yeah. you're just bound to. And it has worked out. The balance is good between Carrie and I. We're, we're both reasonably busy. We both have, we're both character players, so we have funny stories to tell and funny parts to play. So we, we have a lot of laughs, and we're not super competitive. Do you, have, one another. do you have that thing that happens where, you know, maybe sometimes she's feeling down, so you have to be the strong one, say, hey, everything's going to be okay, and then maybe sometimes you're sensitive, yeah. as in, that is embarrassing. My audio, my, my sound is never on. Your on sound, your sound's on now. Yeah, it is, sure is. Your old timey, <laughs> I really wish you would just pull out like an old Bakelite phone. Yeah. Oops, sorry about this, guys. <laughs> KL5, yes, I'm here. Hello, Klondike7349. Uh, yeah. And I was, I was really getting to the root of some interpersonal some really, relationships. Some really heavy stuff. But like, you know, as an actor, like, you know, yeah, we, do, we, do, we do have to support one another. And that's what, that gets back to what you were saying, is we, we get the trials and tribulations, how... A, a bad audition can wreck your day, or m maybe yeah. you're weak. Yeah. So yeah, we d we do a little bit of hand holding, but we're we're both discreet too about knowing when it's needed and when it's better to go about your business and not pay attention. <laughs> well, it's hard too, especially as performers. Performers are naturally sensitive people, because I feel like you probably have to be in order to get into characters. But it also comes into your home life where you're like, oh, if you're upset, I absorb that. Now I'm upset rather than being someone who can kind of help fix the problem. Yeah. Well, it's not about fixing the problem. It's just about being there to have them vent. Although it is possible to be professionally sensitive and quite dull at home. <laughs> I mean, I'm guilty of that sometimes. It's like she'll say, did you not hear what I said about this thing I'm doing tomorrow? And I'll say, Yes, and I'm right with you there, babe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I try that again? Can I try that one more time? You get to take two. <laughs> do you uh, are, are you do you consider yourself a good auditioner? I, well, that that's hard to say. I'm a I'm a reason I'm a reasonably good auditioner because I I have this idea that I am a tradesman, and the or a consultant. A problem solver. My, my job is to help writers, producers, and directors solve problems they have with scripts. Mm -hmm. And the, the problem is, how do I make this good or believable? Or what could be done with it to make it better? And so I, I like to join with them, collaborate with them to try to figure that out, r rather than think in terms of me begging for a paid job. 
That's a cool way to think about it. I never I thought mean, about but, that before. But sometimes you can't escape the idea of begging for a paid job because you, right. you need one and you like the gig. But if you can get away from the begging part and, and go in there, like roll up your sleeves and come on, I'm, these people and I are going to figure out how this thing ticks. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a good mindset to get in, and I, that's what I would say to younger actors. I think not that they ever ask me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with them? Them and voiceover people. <laughs> We're gonna fix this. I, I just you know it's for anyone for anyone who's never gone through the audition process before. Uh, I mean, you know, one good job can change your life overnight, just in terms of financial security and and future job security, and so it's, it. It is really hard to, when you get really close to a job, you can't get the stuff out of your head of, you start doing the math. You're like, oh, I'd probably make $100,000. And then what yes. am I? I can help my parents out. Yeah. Okay, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. But I've, I've often lost the job that I thought was a make or break one. And it sometimes turns out that the, the real one is just on the horizon past that heartbreak. Right. I mean, I, I remember I remember being despondent over not getting a job in a play at Milwaukee Rep once. And this was it was only a few days later that I was asked to do a workshop of Moises Kaufman's play Gross Indecency, The Three Trials of Oscar Wilde, which turned out to be the greatest break of my career. It didn't look like it at the time. And I thought, oh, look what I'm doing, and I could have been in Milwaukee. But it, as it turns out, it was exactly what I was meant to be doing. It was the losing that job in Milwaukee was the best thing I could have done. Oh. Well, and that's that's important for people to remember that you don't necessarily always know what's best for you. <laughs> no, and I'm I'm. It's made me positively passive about my career. I don't know if that's healthy or not, but people say, well, wh- what do you want next? Or what's on your list? What's on, you know, wh- what are the roles you, you feel you have to play? And I say, I don't, I don't have those kinds of roles. I, I never get to play roles if, I, I would never get to play them if I made the list. And all the really great ones that have changed my career have come completely out of left field. R- roles I didn't even know existed. Like like the practice or like law or sure a, th- a thing like that part on the practice, which grew out of doing that Oscar Wilde play for Moses Kaufman oh, wow. because I I did it at the taper and got seen there by some people from Los Angeles and years later and and you always think oh you know is it going to lead to a to the next job well it may not lead to the next job it may lead to a job four years from now mm-hmm. or ten. So you just don't know. I, I mean, I haven't always been able to be relaxed about it. And it's much easier to talk this way now that I'm on a regular series. Sure. But I, I try to hold on to that notion of it's coming. And I, I really do believe it's true that n- no one who has a skill will, will re- remain unemployed their whole career. The, the question is, can, can you wait long enough? Yeah. I didn't make a living as an actor until I was 42. So, but, but then if, if I went to an actor much younger than that and said, could you wait that long? I don't know what their answer would be. Yeah, it's, 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 you, can't, uh, you can't think of it in those terms. It really is just sort of a day-to-day kind of a thing. Can you it get is. through each day? And, and I think every, every positive thing you do for your career, whether it's a play or some, you know, 
something that you do that helps advance your learning or, or whatever, but it's all about basically making deposits into this, you know, talent bank that yes. someday you will be able to withdraw from. What would you have said if someone said, you know, it's probably going to be when you're 42. Like, say you're like 23 and you want, you're, you're acting and they're like, well, you, it's going to be 20, you're going to be 42 when it happens. Would you, what would you be your response, do you think? And your mindset I, I at that time? I hope that I would have said, well, that, that's, that's cool. I'm so happy to know that it will one day, it will one day click. But I'm liking it now, mm -hmm. nonetheless. And that bank account you're talking about, I, I think it's kind of a pleasure bank account. You need to enjoy the day-to-day -day on some level. I mean, there's plenty of rejection, and we, we all know that, and frustration, too, and wondering when you'll ever be able to you know, pay your bills sure. and stuff. But you should like it. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. you have to in order to... I mean, if you do... If you do have to wait a little bit longer for it to pay off, I mean, a young person might go, well, I don't want to wait 19 years, but I'll bet when you're 42 and it's happening, you're like, hey, this is all right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's yes. better than having it at 23 and then losing it before 42 and then spending the rest of your life with that. So. What kind of jobs did you have when you were uh, still just a struggling actor? Well, I, acting is my second career. I, I was a magazine illustrator for many That's years. That's right. Yes. I saw. I think I saw you on Letterman. You did. You did some stuff on Letterman. Oh, Jimmy Fallon showed a, oh, Jimmy a picture Fallon, yeah. that I drew once long That's ago. Right, a yeah. very strange picture. But I, once I once I moved south and decided to be an actor, then I couldn't draw pictures anymore. So I had to find out other ways to support myself. And I did. I did a lot of outdoor stuff. I built decks and painted houses. Manly stuff. Okay, Semi manly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, there's no videotape of it, but it probably didn't look all that manly yeah. when, when I was doing it. <laughs> a lot of splinters. <laughs> <laughs> I worked at a landscape nursery. I did, I did some local advertising illustration work. I taught a little. I taught drawing. I, oh, taught, wow. I taught acting, too. God help me. <laughs> Do you think that your art background... This might be a reach. Do you think your art background at all, because it always seems like there's that that idea of maybe it's a might be like a it might be a picasso idea of basically trying to use the fewest lines possible to define a thing do you feel like that with illustration and really trying to understand the essence of something with the simplest lines possible is there anything that you could take into acting with that kind of character building yes i i think for a while, I thought, "Oh, look at the look at the time I, I wasted being an artist." But now I think differently. I don't think it was wasted at all. I think I learned a lot about being a craftsman, and it didn't matter what medium I was working in. I just learned some self-regulation. I learned how to challenge myself. I learned to have the nerve to throw everything out and start over if it wasn't right. Those sorts of things, and those have carried over. And but I would go further. I would say, having been a graphic illustrator, I, it may be that I'm still an illustrator. I'm an illustrator of characters. I'm just working in a different mm -hmm. medium. And I think a lot of whatever little aesthetic rules I collected along the way, I think they have served me well as an actor, just as they did when I was drawing pictures. Jonah, by the way, is from Hawaii. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I was born and raised in, in Kailua. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And you have spent 
countless hours, many many days, months in years. Hawaii. Yeah. Was I feel like um, was 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 Ben's character was he not intended initially to be a major part of the storyline? I'm not real clear about that. I think, well, certainly when I was first engaged to to come to Hawaii and play the character, it was it was only to be a few episodes. Mm-hmm. But it, that may have been a kind of a test, a kind of a screen test, not just for me in a role, but for the role they had written, mm-hmm. or the, a role they were considering. M- maybe they're going to see, you know, throw it up and see if it flew. And had it not flown, I would have been easy to kill off, and, and they could have moved on to, you know, plan B. Finding that character. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah finding the character they needed to be the adversary. Yeah. yeah. When uh, Was the audition for that show someone beating the shit out of you for three <laughs> days straight? It, it should have been. I, I almost wish it had been, because then I, I, I would have had some warning. <laughs> <laughs> they beat the shit out of you. Out of Henry, out of poor Henry. I think I'm the most beaten character in the history of television, possibly. I think it's especially because just because of the timeline of the show, you know, especially that season, there were so many episodes where you just had (laughs) (laughs) just just uh, cuts and scrapes. Oh, yeah. And we would run out of spaces on my face to put new new wounds. (laughs) We were hurrying up and healing some things to make way for new, fresher wounds. Yes. Yeah. Henry Gale. <laughs> that was it. Henry Gale, the balloonist. Yeah, the balloonist. Yeah, yeah. The balloonist. Uh, Sorry. That was no, you. No. Go ahead. No, no. I was, I was actually going to ask, uh, like, where you, I want to know where you guys stayed when you were in Hawaii. Did you stay in Honolulu or Waikiki or were you out in the North Shore because you were... Everybody, it was sort of each to his own. I, I think first season, they all hung together a bit, but before the they were sure that it was going to be ongoing. But by the time I got there, everybody had split up. So uh, a lot of people lived in uh, Lanikai, Kailua, yeah. North Shore. Terry had a big house out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm a more of a city person, and I like to walk, and I, I sleep better at night if I know there are bars and restaurants close by. Yeah. So I, I stayed in Waikiki. Oh, nice, yeah. That's where my parents live now. Ah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I grew up in Kailua. I have grandparents in Lanikai. And it was a uh, it was weird watching Lost and uh, just you know when you're supposed to, you know Jin and Son are supposed to be in you know Seoul Korea and I'm just like nah, that's the convention center ah. that's just kind of <laughs> taking me out of it and I would say it while watching with friends I go shut up you're ruining the magic <laughs> but they they must have occasionally surprised you yeah I mean and I was I was surprised to see Camp Erdman uh, yeah. the uh, that were uh, you know the the others uh, camp and uh, that was that was a surprise and then there were certain spots where I'm like I, I can't tell where that is and that was always really nice. There was a scene where I met uh, Saeed in Moscow. Do you do you remember that? I, remember that I do scene. remember yeah. that scene. And there was snow on the streets and the signage was in Cyrillic. Yeah. Letters. Was that in Chinatown? That was up at the Bishop Museum. They, oh, that makes complete sense. They changed all the signage and they brought in, I think, three dump truck loads of snow. I don't know where you get that stuff made. <laughs> but they, they spread it all around. Yeah. And I, I was worried because we were wearing heavy coats and fur hats and it was a hot day. Yeah. But the snow made it cold back in the alley where we were shooting. So oh, that's it, incredible. It, it worked out all right. But, that's really neat. I mean, they would cook up stuff. You know, st- we were in the Sahara or we were at a bazaar in Iraq. Or, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Oh, yeah. You woke up in the middle of the desert. Yeah, right. Yeah. Where was that? Was that in uh, like Eva Beach somewhere? Or? It was a quarry 
uh, way out on the west side, like Yokohama Beach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Way far out that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, out that way, Makaha. Yes. Yeah. That's a sketchy the area. The point is, if you're going to shoot a show about a magical island, <laughs> Hawaii is the only place you could possibly... Oahu is the only place, just because it is a really diverse island, as opposed to just like the city uh, areas and the in the suburban neighborhoods that they used for Los Angeles. Well, the big island's just all volcanic rock, right? Uh, part of it. Yeah, one side, you know, there's a, there's towns, like Hilo and stuff like that on the other side. Then there's even, you know, there's farms in the middle of the Big Island. There's just huge cattle farms in the middle. And then there's Mauna Kea, which is a, you know, a volcano with snow on the top of it sometimes. Did you get to enjoy the show as a viewer at all? Yeah, I, I always liked it. And we, we would always, as often as we could, if, if Carrie and I were together, we would have people over on whatever night it was airing. and Wednesdays. You know, it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Fun to watch it and gab about it and gossip about it and, you know. Did you know? Fun. Did you know about the what was going on in the rest of the show, or were you just? Was it pretty much just your? I had I had read the scripts, but I you know I hadn't. It, it was always interesting to see it put together, because it, it, you know, when, when you're an actor, you tend you tend to skim through the stage direction parts to get to the dialogue, because sure. that's the part you're going to have to yeah. memorize very soon. And uh, so it was always fun to see how the action played out and, and the, the different ways they could figure out to give us thrills or surprises yeah. that were purely visual. How much of the year were you in Hawaii? Eight or nine months every oh. year. <clears throat> were you at all able to sort of appreciate or, or feel the cultural impact that the show was having or were you pretty isolated out there? We were isolated and... It, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I think, yeah, we were far from the buzz. We were far from the press world, really. It was, you know, we wake up in this quiet, idyllic place every day and drive out and do some running around in the jungle. And there wasn't too much fuss made over it. The, the people who live in Oahu liked the show and I think liked having us there. And we tried to be respectful and, uh, and, uh, you know, re reward them for their hospitality. Hawaii people don't, like, the culture there doesn't go too crazy for, you know, like, stuff in Hawaii. Like, you know, they're just, it's very, it's, it's, it's such a mellow community. that it's, I, Like, I've seen people just, like, you know, never go too crazy over celebrity culture. There, yeah, you know. it's, it's laid back. Yeah, yeah, very much. I mean, it's because it's been, there's always been a show there, you know, there was Hawaii Five-0, Magna P.I., and they just, like, the people who live there be kind of come become part of the community. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever... Do you think you'd ever move back someday when you're when you're older? You're like, ah, I'll just go retire to Hawaii. Well, I, I no, I, I I couldn't really imagine living there. No. But uh, we have grown a little nostalgic lately for Hawaii. Partly, it was seeing that George Clooney movie, the yeah, Des the Descendants. No, that that tore me apart. And uh, so we thought, oh, maybe if we can steal a few days this summer. You know, we'll just blast over and yeah. stay at the Royal Hawaiian or something, and yeah. have a mai tai and take some hikes. Yeah, that's great. It is pretty amazing that, I mean, it's hard enough for one person to get, uh, it's hard for one person to get a job, then, then that show is successful and gets picked up. But a married couple who both independently get jobs and both of those shows are successful, it's, it's pretty incredible in yeah, this business. Right. Everyone should have our set of problems. <laughs> and there, there are a few, the logistics of travel and trying to find ways to be together in the same place yeah that must have been pretty tough just like how like how what were some of the longest spats of time you would have not seen your wife when i first went on lost carrie was in a broadway show 
so she only had one day a week off, so she could not travel. Yeah. So I suppose I went, we went six weeks or more. That's tough. Once or twice. Yeah. That's, that's too long to be apart from your loved one. Yeah. Well, you guys have been together for well, like years. 14, 15 years maybe? Yeah we're, yeah, we're married. It'll be 14 years this year and together, God, 17. Wow. That's great. It, it is very hard to, even if both people are working in the same town, if both people are working, it's very hard to sustain a yeah, relationship. Yeah. And to be like, you know, um, just mentally available to them at the end of like a long day. It's tough for, you know, two people just to get home and just not just zonk out and watch TV or something. You and, know? and if your time zones aren't synchronized, it, it, make, it makes it hard to be in the same place mentally. So in, in Hawaii, the sun will still be up. And in New York City, it's bedtime. Yeah. Leno's on. You, <laughs> you know, so you're at different parts of the day. Yeah. Like, what'd you do today? Well, the day just got started. Well, yeah. and it's it's even worse if you're in Hawaii and that person's in New York. Then you're six hours apart. Yeah. Oof. Do you think? Uh, uh, wait, does True Blood shoots in L.A. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I don't know why for a second I was like, <laughs> no, no, they shoot down in Louisiana. Yeah. No, Chris, uh, it's television. They can shoot wherever they want. <laughs> yeah. He just told you about Moscow and Hawaii. <laughs> 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 yes, but only Louisiana could really capture. Oh, yeah. <laughs> A shack in the middle of trees, <laughs> like Louisiana. Are you gonna do a? Are you ever gonna pop onto True Blood? Do you think? I don't know. I don't. I, I what? What would the role be exactly? I don't. Who knows? Sinister House. I. Yeah, possibly Vampire that. House. It could work. Some could disembodied work. vocal yeah, part. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that. That would be. I think everyone should they, get to. I don't, they haven't had a poltergeist yet. Everyone should get to play a vampire. I think at one point in their career, get the teeth and the crazy oh, eyes. Yeah. I think I'd, I would. Probably prefer to go against the grain and not have any supernatural qualities. Just be some poor plotting human <laughs> who is maybe victimized somehow by a supernatural agency. Excuse me, can you tell me how to get to yes. guest starring Michael Emerson <laughs> briefly, <laughs> just in the in the in the opening five seconds, <laughs> just like in the old uh, the old uh, police squad. Oh, they would have been like special the special guest in the credits, and they would die in the credit sequence, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that you would never actually see them. <laughs> are you a big? Uh, are you a big comedy fan? Do you like? Do you, when you're when you're watching television or film? Do you do you do you prefer more like intense drama, or do you like do you prefer comedy? I like a good comedy. It's what I always used to do on stage, but before I became this, whatever I am now, in in front of the camera. So I, I like, I like good funny writing, but it's harder to come by. Yeah. You know, so I, I uh, but ho hope springs eternal and you keep hoping something's going to just make you laugh your ass off. I don't go to comedy clubs much. Although Carrie says, I don't know why you keep saying that because when we do go, you laugh yourself silly <laughs> at jokes that I don't even find funny. But I, there's something about the regimented way that you have to go in and out. It's like at a jazz club. There's two seatings per night, and the, they want your drink order before your butts even touch the chair. Right. Yeah. You need to order both drinks right now, and, you know, all of that. It's just there's not so much dignity about it. But you know, once the show gets going, yeah, I, I, 
I usually mm. find it. Yeah, well, the process the, is... The comedy good. club, a lot of comedy clubs are basically just bars that are distracting you with a comedian on stage. Yeah, mm. I think that's right. They just, yeah. they just give you a focal point for a minute, so you'll yeah. just keep buying... Yeah, they want, <laughs> they, they want you to laugh food. yourself into eating chicken wings. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah, that's exactly what they want. So you never toyed with the idea of doing stand-up or anything like that? Oh my God, no. That would be too too improvisational. I, <laughs> I want to know just how things are going to go. Oh, yeah? And the but, structure. But within that framework, once, once I know my lines and I know how the thing is supposed to go, whether it's a play or a scene in front of a camera, then there's room to play around inside it. But you can only play around once you're perfectly confident about the ground rules. Yeah. And how long did it take you to get comfortable with working on Lost? Because your character became a whole other guy. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, I was always comfortable in my craft. That's not probably what you're asking me. But, you know, you're nervous when you go to a new show because you're, sure. you're the new guy and it's like going to somebody else's house and you don't know how things go or, you know, who who can you talk to, who can you not talk to, who's, you know, who's going to be your friend and who isn't. But once they say action, then I, I've, I felt secure about the work I was going to give them. If not first take, then eventually, because I'm flexible. And I, again, I like to be that workman that collaborates with the director on getting what, whatever notes or nuances he wants from the scene. It's, it's fun. It's fun to try to find those things, solve those little problems. Where does the intensity come from? When it, I, I've, seen, I've seen auditions on tape before that I've done. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's the intensity. It's all in my facial expression and muggings. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, like so, like so many Ben Linus moments where you were just these cold, intense stares at people that you just would feel like, stop staring at me. Like, how, where does the intensity come from if it's not all up here? Well, you, you, your brain has to be in the scene. But that's that's a given usually. A, lo a lot of times, I think good effects, sinister effects or chilling effects, can be had by playing the opposite of what the scene seems to demand of of a human being. Oh, that's cool. So so be still instead of agitated. Where where other people might try agitation, what would it be like if? There was absolute stillness, mm -hmm. or where other people might raise a voice or or start, you know. Then you go the other way. You're just quieter, or 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 play abstract relationships with other people. So your adversary now isn't your gun-toting adversary. It is a four-year-old child, and you're the head of the daycare center. <laughs> so you say you want to put that gun down don't you, <laughs> you, you, know, so you, you just, <laughs> and so you see sad. how that this, it, and it's why, why does that work it works because it's it's musically wrong it's, it's not what it's not the tone we expect from the dramatic situation that's awesome. That was great. So I, I would call it an opposite or a strategy. Now, if you hang out with, with older actors, you, you begin to play around with this idea of what if it's all just strategies? What if we don't have to be like people at all, but just play 
like a musical instrument. Play our actor self as an abstract musical instrument, just picking strategies out of the air. Oh, this moment, I'm in charge of the day, daycare center. This moment, I'm the king of Persia. I'm, you, you know, you just... Oh, that's kind of fun. And I you, love that idea. It, it would be kind of postmodern acting. But sometimes, because the work we do is so fragmented anyway, the way we, you know, we shoot bits of scenes and we shoot things out of order, there is a collage dimension to it anyway. So what if you took that to its logical extension? which is that ev everything is disconnected parts. Wow. What, what if you're a different character? What I'm saying is, what if you're kind of a different character every line? That's a great way to think about but, it. But the audience doesn't need to know that, the, the, because they see it's your face, it's your hairdo. You're the character, you, they, you, they have the context. You've got the gun or not, and all of that stuff is there. Conventional narrative is taken care of. You just don't have to help it. That's a really great way to think about it because when you, I mean, at least I, you know, I'm, I don't really consider myself an actor at all, but the few times that I've done it, of trying, or I mean, I've, I've auditioned a million times, but just getting into the, what's this guy's motivation and what are the questions he's asking him? What's this? I like that better of just sort of like picking a different thing and get it. Cause it, in a way it forces you out of your own head, which is I think where you need to be. And it, it frees you from doing a lot of Freudian drudge work. <laughs> that whole thing of, what do I want? Where did I just come from? Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. what's standing between me and my bliss? You know, all, all those things that, you know, we learned. And that should be probably a part of our work strategy. But it's kind of narrow, and it's not all that much fun after many, many years. So it, it's, it's nice to mix it up a little bit. Also, it's a little limited to our own experiences as opposed to just picking something like that and sort of, you know, doing a characterization of yes. what that other guy might be. And it's a mid-century naturalism trap kind of thing. Also, if it's real methody and everything, I have no problem with that. I, I get into it, too. But I, I think there's, there are more ways to go after this. And also less ways to get trapped in the sort of emotional gunk of a character that yeah. when you just can't shake it off yeah. and go home and relax. Right. <laughs> yeah, you can punch out at the end of the day <laughs> and leave the brooding, sinister, whatever, the fictional world behind you. <laughs> well, I also want to say congratulations on the second season of Person of Interest. Oh, thanks. Um, it's a really cool idea for a show. I always say that. It's a smart idea for a show. It's, it's, it's clever. And they are living up to the promise of that clever idea Yeah, in, in a good way, I think. I, haven't, uh, I, I have to admit I haven't seen a ton of the show, but what I do know about it is that you're, you're a billionaire who has developed this. You basically have developed a, a program that tries to predict terror attacks. Yes. But the side effect was that you learned how to... They, you basically discovered that you could predict pettier crimes. Yes, he, he invented it for the government to, to predict uh, terrorist acts, things that would have calamitous effects and large loss of life. What he didn't anticipate and what the government has no interest in are it also gives him little crumbs of domestic predictions, little 
It, I, it, the, the computer sees little patterns of behavior in domestic individuals messing around with money, purchasing weapons, stuff like that, and it crunches them together, and it recognizes when a single violent action might happen. Well, the government doesn't care, but he is conscience-stricken about it. And so even though the government takes all that machinery away from him, he figured out a way to keep the back door open, and he gets... But to remain untraceable, he can only take out the smallest bit of information, and that's a social security number. That's all he gets. So, and he doesn't even know if it belongs to a perpetrator or a victim. Wow. And then they take it from there. And Jim Caviezel's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, he's great. You, those, those are hard roles to cast. Those silent hitmen, you know, guys that are great with guns and combat, but they're supposed to have souls too. Right. And a dark backstory to justify. And he does all of that. And you think, well, if I were casting that part, who's on the short list for the role? Try to name five guys that you think could carry that off. I, I marvel that they found him. And, and now I think there was nobody else. Yeah. I don't know how they found him. Because he, you know, he wasn't a guy known for taking TV jobs. No, no, uh, he the, was Jesus. He was Jesus. Yeah, he was. He was in the last him. Uh, la, uh, the last temptation. No, he was. He was not, not uh, last, last temptation. Passion, the, of, the passion, passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ. Yeah. I mix my temptation with my passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's he's so good in it, and it turns out he's also funny. In a in a way, I think sometimes I think we we are in a comedy, and we're the only ones that know it. Maybe it's just maybe that's just a, a psychological reaction to the gravity of the show and the circumstances yeah. we're playing, and everything's so dire and desperate, urgent. But there is some fun in it. There's not that big of a difference between, you know, like a really hardcore drama. I feel like you could, if you just spun it a little bit, it becomes a comedy. Well, that's you're right. breaking bad plays with that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, where there's just like if, if like you know, and they you can there's m- moments where you laugh, but there's also things where it's like you laugh at just how ridiculous it could how be. How awful! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always feel like a good villain or a good you know like a, a really good dark character is a comedic actor that they just tweak a little bit, and they be, so it's interesting to me that your background is doing a lot of stage comedy, and that you're able to play these kind of like intense, you know, villainous or just kind of dark, mysterious characters. It's good. And you, you need the mix. It, it's Shakespearean, you know, w- w- with Shakespeare, the, the way you make the tragedies work is to find the comedy. And the way you make the comedies work is to find the tragedy. Yeah. And I, I think that's the best way to look at those. Th- this is all part of my sort of uber philosophy of the opposites. Sure. But I, I think it's always important. I mean, I always try to say, say to myself, in, in every creative decision moment, what's expected? What's its opposite? Wouldn't the opposite be maybe more interesting? Or maybe the opposite doesn't work, but it's a, it opens a door into some other possibilities 
that, that might solve a, uh, an aesthetic problem. Oh, that's cool. I never even thought to think that that way about any material that I have because I'm so caught up trying to like, what's the emotion? You know, like rather than asking a good directional question <laughs> about the, you don't really get that in hosting. You're like, well, <laughs> I'm just going to tell you this thing that's about to happen. <laughs> well, it, it may be a function of my age too, because after a few years in, in the craft, the the direct frontal assault em, emotional choices are exhausting at at the end of the day. Because if you if you have to play that if you play that big stuff over and over again, ten or twenty takes, screaming, foaming at the mouth, bringing it up from the toenails, you, you know, all of that, it'll it'll just wear you out. And it's it's also done a, a lot. There, you 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 want as you get older to have or I do, a, a, a lighter touch and come at it smarter. C come at it from some other angle that is interesting and, but most importantly, saves you labor. Yeah. <laughs> of, it just requires a lot of, of energy. Sort. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's a tremendous amount of energy. Sometimes it's unavoidable. Sometimes you have to break down and, you know, weep or scream or something like that, but it... I, I do like looking for alternatives. <laughs> <laughs> there is almost an interesting science to that of like, rather than teaching people to reach emotional levels of teaching them how to conserve energy, but still get to a place in the most efficient way possible. That's something sciencey that I could, that I could understand a lot better. Well, I, I think, you know what, I, we're having some fun with this idea of it being labor saving and all, but I think in, in a way, it, it may be that it's truer, t truer to life. I think people are less in the business, at least in our culture, are less in the business of displaying their emotions than they are in the business of covering them up. So it's the cover-up that I think is always more interesting than the expression of. Once somebody starts crying on stage or pulls the trigger and fires the gun, then that's it. There's nowhere else to go. But if you watch somebody fighting tears, you will watch them all night long, waiting, waiting for it <laughs> to break. So it's, it's the covering rather than the revealing sometimes, I think. Yeah. And you think that uh, just sort of the, the wisdom of, 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 getting, of just being around longer and getting older, you feel like that's some of where that comes from? Yeah. It, partly it's my age and my understanding of myself or humanity, but also watching older actors because they're the ones that I learn everything from. Who do you like? Now. I just like, I like any, I like any actor who's still working after the age of 65. Mm -hmm. You know, you just, because you, you see the economy they bring to their work. Yeah. Because the, the days of the sword fighting and the screaming and the running and jumping and love making and all of that it, it's it's over now it now things are drier they're more nuanced there but i also think with some of that you know when you're younger there's such a desperate need i think anyway there's a hunger and a desperate need to be relevant and to be sexual and to be you know just so in everyone's face and then i think 
you know, when you listen, if you're 70 years old and you're still getting to act, it's probably like, well, I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks about me anymore. Like, it's just I'm just doing a thing that I like. Well, there's something to be said for not caring too much. I mean, that's that's a good strategy for auditions, too. If you could somehow find a way to not care whether you got the job or not, you would probably give a very relaxed and magnetic performance. In fact, the people auditioning you might say, wow, he had what an amazing quality he had. And what that, they'll, they'll chalk it up to mystery or something, but what the quality really was was he didn't give a damn about the job. <laughs> and that is so unusual and mysterious that it reads as all sorts of other things. But, it, but, but within the realm of humanity, don't you think that's the sort of, that's the quality that makes people magnetic just on an interpersonal level of not feeling like they need you to yes. like them? Yeah. Which is so opposite what our what our job commands. Yeah, yeah I, I'm interested in people that don't need to take charge of the room. Or who's that person over there looking at the fish in the fish tank? Yeah. <laughs> What's that about? Let me go talk to them. You know, I, I, I do think... But maybe as with actors, so it is with life, that when we are young, we need to make more noise and get more attention. And then as we get older, we have less need for a hundred reasons. Yeah. Wow, we've gotten so philosophical. It's here. interesting. <laughs> so. Listen, I am obsessed with, I mean, I, I, I am obsessed with, you know, the, the getting older process and what, and what happens and what it does to your work and does it free you up and do you appreciate the wisdom or do you... Are you ever like, I wish I was 20 years old? Like, I just don't know, you know, like it's, it really is, it really is something that I've been kind of stuck on lately is just trying to figure all that, that part out of it, which of course I'll never figure out until it happens. It's the study of a lifetime. Yeah. But I remember when I was young, you know, when you're a young actor, the things you worry about are expressions, finding spontaneous expressions of either laughter or, or tears. I used to spend a lot of time fretting or mentally rehearsing. How, how was I going to get to those places? And now that stuff is... Life has seemed to me so ridiculous and, and sad that both of those responses are at my fingertips now as an old actor. Stuff, it doesn't take much for, for me to laugh long and hard or to weep my eyes out. Those things are just right there. And it's not, I don't think it's so much from having made my life's work as an actor. I think it's from having just passed the age of 50 and looking around a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what my point is, is a hopeful point, I hope, that as you get older, some, some things do get better and you do grow more artful. I think it's possible. Oh, that's cool. That makes me happy. I, you know, it's because everyone sort of has that thing where they go, oh, you know, if I were just 10 years younger. And then I think <laughs> I was a mess when I was 10 years yeah. younger. I would, what I would want is to go back and be 10 years younger, but with the knowledge that I have now. But exactly. 10 years younger, I was an, a moron. Yeah, you, you may want that body, but you don't want that brain. No, <laughs> no. My dad, my dad would always say every time like he would uh, turn a certain age, um, I'd be like, oh, you, how does it feel getting older? He's like, you know what? I think about it this way. When I, uh, when I turned uh, 
50, I was like, oh, man, I wish, you know, I just wish I could be 40 again. But when he turned 40, he's like, oh, man, I wish I could be 30 again. He's like, he's like, now that I'm like, you know, he, he turned 60, he's like, he's like, I know that, like, I'm just going to embrace it now because I know when I'm 70, I'm going to be like, oh, I wish I was 60 again. And like, he's like, it took me this long to figure it out, but I'm going to try and ride that. <laughs> yeah, my dad's 70 and he seems, you know, he's pretty happy in general. Like, he's, I don't know, he's, he's all, he's just all gushy now. You know, I think you get gushier when you get older. Yeah. He's just, you know, I mean, he was always a sweet, he was always a, n a nice guy, a sweet guy, but... It's either grizzled or gushy. That's the only <laughs> two ways for an old man to go. But now it's, yeah, he did not go grizzled. He is definitely gushy, where it's like, oh, just, even if I could just see you for a day, for like an hour, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't sweet. need to, you know... You do have a, a, a license to be more tender yeah. as, as you get on in years. Do you have kids? No. No, I don't either. I always wonder if I if I'm gonna hit seventy and go, ah fuck! I should have just had one kid, <laughs> just, just one kid. Ah, just get a dog. Just get. <laughs> Kids will make you tender. Dogs will make you tender. Uh, yeah, they will. I think it's good to have something little and warm in your house. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I yeah. Damn it! It's a good idea. <laughs> I had a dog. <laughs> the dog's still alive. It just yeah. you know the relationship that it was in is yes that yeah. moved on is, 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 <laughs> he has a better life there than yeah. with me i travel too much are you in town a lot or you travel a lot we we tend to go back and forth just between new york and yeah. los angeles yeah just like oh we need a we need a, a two shows worth of exteriors go stand in front of that building <laughs> is, it, is it a lot of that do you shoot the main body of the stuff here in la on our show yeah person of interest yeah oh no every bit of it is shot in new york city oh okay okay yeah how was it shooting in New York? It's great. I mean, it's it's fun because we live there. I think of it as home. Yeah. And uh, it's a chance to see corners of the city that I didn't know existed. Or God, it's good to be shooting a show in New York that's not uh, a Law and Order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although we we end up sometimes being right around the corner from them. There's the, a, there's a lot of TV being shot oh, in New man. York now. Person of interest Law and Order crossover would be far, that just like one. They what just, Hawaii Five-O just did a crossover with another show. They did? Yeah, I, oh, think, I think with... With uh, Law & Order S... No, what's the L.A. one? Is it uh, NCIS L.A. or something? Like that? Yeah, yeah, NCIS oh, did. L.A. Yeah, it's with LL Cool J, whichever one that one yes. is. Yeah, they're doing yeah, a crossover. They did. Terry, Terry O'Quinn. Oh, was he? Was he? He's in uh, Hawaii Five-O now. Yeah he's, yeah, he's kind of a long arc. Kind yeah, of oh, is that what it is? He's recurring, yeah. Yeah. I just it, it, I always I always find that funny, and that's happened uh, in Hawaii before, where like an actor that spent a lot of time on one project ends up like, and they, hey, he's back. He just wants to stay in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have a lot of uh, interesting knowledge to share with people. Have you ever <laughs> have you ever written a book or given a seminar? No, I can't. To, I can't write anything. What are you talking about? You just you just everything you just said you could have typed. It was, it was great. <laughs> I guess. So you know, someone you could you could give a bunch of words to someone, and then they just kind of you know structure the chapters and stuff. But, but I think you know, I I think there's a wealth of knowledge that you have that hmm. might be that would be uh, really interesting to people. I feel smarter, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind teaching more if if it turns out that there's room in my life for that someday. Yeah. But we'll see. Let's do a show where we just basically it's a. Uh, Homeschool with Michael, Michael Emerson. You could also be the voice of the house if you wanted to be. <laughs> yeah. And it's just you teaching one person one-on-one -on -one every morning. Oh, my God. 
That'd be tough, wouldn't it? What would you teach? So, what would you tell someone? Definitely. What would you t- what What would you say to a young person, not actor? What would you say to a young person about life? Like they're that sort of at the dawn of their, you know, nineteen, twenty years old. What do you What do you say to a young person about how to navigate their life effectively? Jeez. Have some fun, but be mindful of kindness. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what. I don't know what you. Everything else gets specific and and patience. It's good to be patient. That's the other thing about looking back at you when you're younger is you think that everything is so important. Yeah. You get so wrapped up in dumb shit. It's like like when you know when some I guess it'd be like if you have a kid and he's all freaked out about school and he has a homework assignment due and you're like, what is this? Like a fucking math homework. I'm gonna take you a half hour, you'll be done. What are you what are you upset about? Yeah. <laughs> but at the time it's just so intense. <sighs> and I always try to remember like all the stuff, most of the stuff that I feel now. That someone like 10 or 15 years old would be like, just fucking relax. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be nice to always just pretend that you have an older person sitting on your shoulder going, yeah. shut up. Re- relaxation is good. I-, I would encourage that. You do meditation? No. But I, I, I do think that my work some days is meditative. Mm-hmm. It's like the focus. Yeah, and the way it can make time stand still. I used to feel that when I drew pictures. I, at, at one point, I realized that drawing pictures was meditative because, you know, you'll, you'll just be hunched quietly over the drawing for maybe a couple of hours, and the, the time will pass, and some music is playing, and uh, you forget time stands still for yeah. a while. And I, I, that's some definition of a meditative moment. It's nice. It's nice if you can slow the world down a little bit. And you, you can also do that in, uh, in your scene work as an actor. Or I'll tell you, doing a full-length play every evening, that is a way to make time stand still. Because once, once you step out under the lights, you're, you're in another dimension. It's, it's good that way. I, th- I think it's healthy. Yeah. I think a Michael Emerson picture book of life lessons would be a really cool oh, no. il- written and illustrated by Michael Emerson. <laughs> this is a fun idea. <laughs> <laughs> when you're sitting on your millions of book dollars, yeah, then you can call me and go, Chris. That's right. You, I said you were crazy, uh, not with words, but with my eyes. I'm I told you, I showed you you were crazy. And I'm, but I have made millions of dollars. I'm sorry I shot you that mocking glance. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're fun skills to have. Maybe we can convince you to draw a burrito for you for our show. We, we, we talk about burritos as, as a weird theme on our show. Uh, so someday we'll get you, if, if you will, draw us a picture of a burrito. We'll, we'll put it up on, the, on our sure, website. Sure. Is there anything, do you still draw? No, not really. Oh. I, I don't. I, I don't have time for it, really. And I, I have to say that as, as time passes, my, my hand shakes a little. I think it shakes from clenching pencils with all my might for many years. Oh, yeah. When I used to do it. So. so no, no doodles on a, no doodles on a uh, bar napkin or anything like that? No. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, can, I can do that. I do that. I'm not an illustrator. I'm a side. I'm a margin doodler. Yeah. 
But for me, it's usually like, look, I just drew a penis on the word and. Like, it's, it's not really anything. That... <laughs> I just give eyes and smiley faces to every word I, I write. <laughs> I do big S's and put circles over my eyes. And then I draw hearts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then horses. Draw a lot of horses. A lot of horses. Are you in produ- you're not in production right now because you're here in L.A. No, I'm on, I'm on my summer break. When are you going back? Um, well, we have upfronts in New York City next week, so mm-hmm. I'll be back for a few days. But I'll be in L.A. till first week of July, and then we have to go back and gear up to do it all over again. People don't know upfronts are when networks go, "Hey, everybody, look at all this stuff we're doing." Yeah, and yeah, they march out on stage, and you wave, and then you go. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a big industry convention where the networks make their, you know, they pitch themselves and their slate of shows to potential ad buyers. Yeah. Well, I wish you much success with Person of Interest. And also, I'd love to see, I, I would love to see you in a play. I just loved, I'd love to see you acting like a few feet from my seat. Oh, yeah. Some, someday, I hope you'll have that opportunity. I hope I can get back on the stage, you know, before I forget how to do it. It is an interesting kind of back, like, oh, TV's good. The exposure's good. The money is unbeatable. But it definitely also takes you away from from stuff like that, too, because because a yeah. play is pretty consuming. It's pretty now. It is. It is. It's, a, it, it's great. And it, it lives and dies in the present moment with no retakes. And yeah. you tell a complete story. And you have a connection with an audience that is unlike anything you have in, in these other lovely media. Yeah, you are pretty much, when you're doing a television show, you're working in a vacuum. Yeah. And if you didn't watch the show, you almost might not even know that you were doing it for anything. Yeah. This weird collection of, st- of scenes that they stitch together somehow. True. Well, I solved television. You sure did. feel pretty good about it. You should. Hopefully you'll come back when you are back in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, it'd be fun to have you back on. Yeah. I'm, I'm in and out of L.A. all the time. So Excellent. We'll, we'll get together and gab again soon. Michael Emerson, thank you for being on the Nerdist Podcast. Such a pleasure. This has been very enlightening. <laughs> Enjoy your burrito, everyone. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code NERDIST5. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground, and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.